This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. In the business world, there is this concept out there. Um, the idea is called user-driven innovation. It, the concept is pretty simple, actually. If you're, if you're making products or you've got a services company, the people that want your stuff will tell you what they want next. So if you just listen to your customers, they will help you know what to do to make your product better or to improve your service. But there's a lot of debate. I kind of like listening to business talk. There's a lot of debate out there as to whether or not user-driven innovation really works. You see, most of the time, even though it makes perfect sense that, you know, you and I use a product and so we know how it should get better, it makes perfect sense except for the fact that it, that it rarely happens that way. Innovation, brand new ideas, don't usually come from those of us who are end users. We're so kind of caught up in the everyday what we're doing that we're not thinking outside the box. Henry Ford is quoted as saying that, you know, if he would have given the world what they were asking for, he would have given them a faster horse. And just this past week, I was watching on YouTube a clip from when Steve Jobs presented this new thing called an iPod. And how he had to explain what it would do. Because, frankly, everyone already had portable music. You clipped a disc man to your belt. And it held 15 songs. Of course, you couldn't move because skip invention hasn't been invented yet. You know, it's skip protection. You just... And so he's explaining all these different aspects. He goes, what if you could have a thousand songs? Woo! What if the battery lasted 10 hours? And people are saying, well, that's ridiculous. That can't happen. And of course, he pulls it out. It was this big. But hey, it, it was a good start. You know, that's about the size of a deck of cards. And you're aware of the fact that the same thing is true with an iPhone. You know, nobody was really begging for a device that fit in your pocket and could receive and make calls, run a GPS, play solitaire, um, and take pictures, and uh, I mean, on and on. Nobody was asking for that. Me, personally, I was happy when we got that extra long cord in the kitchen. <laughs> that was innovation, that technology innovation for us. We, that cord, we could go outside and around the back. You could almost stand by our pool in Florida with that phone. We were big time. The world has changed so much. User innovation. I think it's important for us at the beginning of Crossroads at Montgomery to establish that user innovation doesn't work with the church either. You see, if we as a church are going to be the church that Jesus intended the church to be, we are probably going to have to go back to what he said the church should be. And so for a few minutes, I just want to remind us of what kind of an organization Jesus planted when he launched the church. Can you imagine if Jesus would have pulled his community and built a church based on those surveys and evaluations? I can imagine him asking the Jews around him, hey, I'm thinking about launching this new religious thing. What should it be like? 
what kind of responses will you have got? Uh, it would be like a Judaism light. You know, we dress the same, but we can do more on Sundays or the Sabbath. And the sacrifices are optional. Narrow down, to, let's get down to maybe six commandments. Imagine if you would have interviewed Gentiles. <laughs> what a church that would have been. No, you see, the idea for the church came from Jesus. And if we're honest, we're going to have to admit that Jesus built a church that nobody was asking for. Nobody was clamoring for the church that Jesus planted. Nobody was begging for it. Nobody was looking for it. Nobody was out there searching for a, a church like what Jesus planted. Nobody had even imagined a church like Jesus had planted. Jesus launched a church that nobody wanted and nobody asked for. There are some reasons for that. And one of the first problems with the church is the fact that the church was founded on who he was. That meant that if he weren't a part of it, it wouldn't stay functioning. It wouldn't exist. It's not really a great business plan. If the founder has to be in the store for it to work, you're going to have one store. Open your Bibles to Matthew 16. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's probably a little blue word cover in a pocket there next to you, or in the chair in front of you, or we'll project some of these. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, we read this. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am, the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he draws in, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, of course, answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Building an entire enterprise on a single personality isn't a very great idea normally. It's too narrow. It's too limited. It's too egocentric. <coughs> Wouldn't it be better to build a church on his principles? Build a church on his teachings? There are plenty of those around. Churches that claim to follow some of his teachings. And what's nice about that is you can pick the ones you like and you can ignore the ones that you don't. But you see, the church that he founded was founded on him alone. Pretty narrow. It wouldn't exist if he weren't a part of it. Secondly, the church that Jesus founded, it would be the church, it, when it would gather, it wouldn't gather to be powerful. Throughout history, churches have tried to gather so that they can be powerful, to be influential. And yet, the church that Jesus founded gathered not to be powerful, but to receive power. In Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, we read this. And then they gathered around him, and if you know the story, this is, they see the resurrected Jesus. 
They gather around him and they said, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had their idea of what was going to happen next. And he said to them, it's none of your business. It's not for you to know what the Father has said about dates and times, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, when we gather like this, 200 of us, and we're excited to be here, it would be nice to think that, that there is some influence in this room. There's some power in this room. If this is the church, there is none. Not in us. Not from us. In fact, when we gather as the church, we gather not to be powerful, but to receive power. There is something about His Word... Something about worshiping Him. Something about serving and ministering to one another. Church becomes a place to be enabled to live for Him. It's kind of interesting too. In, verse, uh, in John 15, Jesus said something similar before He went to the cross. Remember, He told the disciples, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in Me and I in you... You will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of you here this morning have been working really hard the last few months. And you have experienced exactly what Jesus said. That apart from Him, no fruit comes up. And the beauty is that when He shows up, what is important gets done. Who would be a part? Who would want to be a part of such a, a powerless, dependent group? Kind of sad. Doesn't it sound kind of sad? Oh, they need Jesus. They don't have any power in themselves. And yet, that seems to be the church that Jesus established. You see, the church that Jesus established was going to be unique in the way that its members interact with one another. Rather than creating a hierarchy, uh, winners, losers, first place, second place, third place, he created an organization that resembles a family. <coughs> Starting in, verse, in John 13, just a few verses before what we looked at, we see that he, he founded a church that was built on relationships that were governed by Jesus' highest value. Love. I'm going to pause for a second. What's the highest value at the place where you work? Productivity, communication, some kind of a bottom line. Even homes. What's the highest value in some homes? Is it affluence, security, esteem from others? What's the highest value in your life? What is it that you find yourself seeking to achieve every day? When Jesus launched the church, he said he had one highest value. John 13, starting in verse 34, we read this. A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another... Not about hierarchy, not about corporate structures, it's about relationships. Now don't misunderstand me. Organization can be helpful. In fact, it's essential 
just a couple of weeks ago, one of our vendors, somebody in this room, they were working on something, putting in something for us. So I began to ask a couple questions. So, uh, you go to a church? Uh, I was raised in such and such a church, but I don't go. Oh, okay. And then he offered this insight into his thinking. He goes, I don't really like organized religion. I said, well, that's great. How do you feel about disorganized religion? <laughs> You'd love us. <laughs> Little organization can go a long way. It helps a lot. We've learned this now after the renovation. <laughs> but any structure, any organization, any of that has to be thoroughly saturated in this highest value, which is love. Seeking the best for the person next to me. Which means, when they do a better job than I do, rather than becoming jealous, I'm thrilled for them. And when they perform less acceptably than I might have hoped, I love them and my how can I help you do this better? The church that Jesus built was built on his highest value. Love. But that love kind of, it gets a little extreme. He says, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was great at... Uh, kind of debating with those religious leaders, the people that had all the answers. In Matthew 22, verse 34, we read this. And hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and the Pharisees got together. We can get him. And one of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus famously responded, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Apparently, the church that Jesus founded was going to be a church of fanatics. Total religious fanatics. He says it right here. He says... Those who follow me are going to be learning to love me most, more than anything. Heart, soul, mind, with everything I have. Doesn't that sound a little unbalanced? Everything in our culture says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go overboard. Just integrate it. It's neat that you do that. It's good for you. It doesn't work for me. But hey, just but you know, don't bring it here. Jesus says that those who know him, those who follow him, those that make up the church, they're going to love him more than anything. They're going to love him more than their career, more than their favorite hobby. They're going to love him more than barbecue. Who would have thought that Jesus, as smart as he was, would establish a church that's full of fanatics, and yet... The church is supposed to be about putting him first. And some of you know that when we love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength, everything else in life finds its proper place. 
right on the heels of this, we learn one other thing about this church that he was going to establish. And that is that this church would be one that was constantly putting the needs of outsiders above the needs of the church itself. At the very end of this passage, he says, And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're going to establish a club, the only way to have a successful club is to have privileges attached to being a club member. It makes perfect sense. Why be a part of something if somebody else, in somewhere else that isn't a part, is always more important than us? That's why it's so easy for us, even when we call ourselves churches. Before we know it, we begin taking care of us. Take care of us first. Well, our friends, our family, our issues, whatever. And before you know it, we've sort of forgotten the central tenet of what Jesus established the church to be. Loving others the way we love ourselves. Both can happen. They're not in conflict with one another. Loving God most and loving others as ourselves. Those two together fulfill the law. In Acts 1, going back to that first passage, Jesus was saying, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. It's not for you to know when phase 2 will be complete. It's not to, but... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, that makes sense. That was kind of in the... That's where they were living. And Judea. Oh. And Samaria. That's like Bucks County. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, going down, I mean, I'm going down there, you know. You're from Lansdale. And to the outermost edge of the earth. From the very inception, he said, our attention has got to be outward. In Matthew 28, the first passage we looked at, Jesus said this, verse 18, he said, then he came to them, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of people who are like you. Sorry. Go and make disciples of the people that you like. Go and make disciples of people who don't at least hate our country. How stunning. Getting to base an organization on a mission that at the top of their mission statement is go. I'm guessing many of you are here because somebody said, come. As soon as we arrive, we say, go. <laughs> Makes no sense at all. How are you going to build a church like that? That's the only way a church that Jesus planted can function. Come in. Come in. Know him. Love him. Follow him. Get out. Get out. Get out. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There is this process of bringing people in, introducing them to what Jesus taught, helping them to incorporate it into their value system, and then equipping them to send them out again to do the same. And as we do that as a church, 
this promise of Jesus's can be claimed by us. And I will be with you. Sometimes I read that. I wonder if he meant that the opposite is not true. It's not in the text. But I wonder, what would have happened if Jesus said, I will be with you. However, if you are not doing what I just told you, I will be nowhere. Nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, Jesus, where did you go? Where are you? In this time in my life, I need you most. Where did you go? And somebody, if we could do this, somebody would probably whisper in your ear and say, actually, he left. He's looking for other people who are lost. But he left this note. This is where he's at. If you want him, go join me. And so if we, Crossroads of Montgomery, if we're going to follow Jesus, we'd better be prepared to leave. And then bring others in. And then leave again. And bring others in. So the mission of the church that Jesus founded was pretty simple. It was to gather for worship. Receiving enablement from His Word. From His teaching and from His Spirit. That's what He wanted the church to do. He wanted it to connect with others in meaningful ways through authentic relationships that are governed by Jesus' highest value. Love. He wanted this church to be filled with people who are growing in their faith and their love. Becoming increasingly, fanatically devoted to Him. Because they begin to see Him and His Word in every part of their lives. After all, He designed life. And He intended for the church to be blessing others by going to them, showing them Jesus' love, by serving them the way that Jesus would, and by sharing the message of the gospel. It's not an accident that what we just read is the mission statement of Crossroads at Montgomery. It's not just our mission statement, it's also our strategy. We think that's how the church is supposed to act, that we gather, connect, we grow, and we go out to bless it's not really that complicated. It's simple. And I think, if I could be so bold as to say, I think I see it happening. I see it happening in your lives. Jesus established a church that nobody asked for. But every person on earth, every man, every woman, every child, needs it's the home they're looking for. It's the safety they yearn for. I think he said the church is supposed to be sort of like a lifeboat. Sometimes churches get to be like, like cruise ships, showboats. He intended for the church to be like a lifeboat. You know, a, a, life, a cruise ship is concerned with maintaining its image. They look so pretty. A lifeboat is concerned with maintaining its mission. I was thinking about this one, and it reminded me of that scene from the movie Titanic. The ship has gone down, there's all those lifeboats in the water, it's dark and cold, you can hear people calling, and that sickening part of the story where the lifeboat is full, I'm sorry, we can't come out, because if we get close to you, all of you will grab, and then we all sink. What a terrible experience to be rowing away from people who are freezing and drowning, while we're safe in a boat. What can we do? 
the lifeboat's full. It's not safe to add anybody else. I'll tell you what we do. We get a bigger lifeboat. And we furnish it to carry people too. That's all this is. It's our effort to put more lifeboats in the water. A showboat's so concerned with benefiting its members. Well, a lifeboat is all about saving people who are lost. You never hear somebody in a lifeboat saying, hey, these seats are hard. <laughs> what? Why are you sitting on the seat? Grab the dunnel and reach into the water for crying out loud. Showboats, cruise ships, they erect barriers. They kind of they say, oh, well, you're on deck, you know, and you're up here, and I'm up here, and that's just... Because there's special places for those of us who are special. Lifeboat eliminates barriers so that people can be reached. Sometimes cruise ships, they do whatever they can to hold on to people. Which should mean that they shouldn't make half the boat sick. But anyway, I won't get into that. A lifeboat does whatever it takes to reach the lost. And what's interesting is lifeboats don't do much else. <laughs> Sitting on a lifeboat. Excuse me, are they going to serve drinks or something here? <laughs> no. Yeah, this, actually, the guy that invited me on this, this, this boat, he was actually a little rude. As soon as I sat down, he said, hey, sorry, you got to move over. Excuse me. You don't understand. I like sitting in the front. If I sit in the middle, I get sick. And then get sick. Because we're a lifeboat. We're a mission. Jesus didn't establish country clubs. He didn't establish places where we feel safe and secure and loved. I hope you feel loved here. But we want to love on you so we can get rid of you. Just in case, this morning, we set up an overflow in the sanctuary. Can we make a deal next time? Could we have to need the, the overflow? It only happens one way. When we're reaching people and pulling them in. Sometimes you wonder. Like, this is kind of a new neighborhood for us, so I start walking around, looking around, and I hope that our neighbors are glad that we're here. I hope that we could impact them in such a way that they would be heartbroken if we ever left. Kind of like Hatfield Elementary, when they heard we were moving. They were like, don't forget us. We've adopted Hatfield Elementary. They said, please, please remember, you're going to come back, right? That's what we want. I read this one little clip in a newspaper. It said, uh, you know, with all the storms that are happening with Harvey, the newspaper said, we are pleased to report that the tornado that destroyed the Methodist church down the street did no harm to the city. <laughs> hurt us at all, because they contributed nothing. If our church ceased to exist this week, would we be missed? Jesus intended for the church to be something that was so based on Him that it couldn't exist without Him. Some place that would never outgrow the gospel. A place where we gather to be receivers of power to be enabled to serve 
to connect with others in meaningful ways. Wait, what has happened? How can I help? To grow in our faith. Some of you are facing really difficult times. And in the midst of all of that, I, I heard it this week again. You know, this is all terrible, but I tell you what, the Lord has shown himself to be so strong. He's so, he's so in my life right now. All so that we can bless someone else. I think it was Pastor Nick who told me this week, uh, or maybe he was talking to a few of us, and he said, you know, anybody with skills and resources can build an organization. Only Jesus can build his church. That's who we want to be. The church isn't here for all of us. It's here for him. And it's here for the people he came to seek and to save. It's not ours. It's not about ourselves. So, let's make sure that we've established that. We are here for Jesus and those that he loves most. You do know who Jesus loves most, right? It's the next person that he reaches out to. The next person who's lost. We're here for others. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.